a podcast one production. G'day, Adam Spencer here with another edition of The Big Questions. I emceed the Singularity U event in Sydney. If you haven't heard of Singularity U, it's the concept of people thinking on the topic of our exponentially growing technologies. What impact will the move towards artificial intelligence, robotics, etc. have on the world in which we live? In this episode of The Big Questions, well, is there a buzzier buzzword at the moment than blockchain? Everywhere you go, you hear about blockchain or the blockchain changing the world of business, changing the world of finance. But what is blockchain and how can we future-proof this exploding technology? Well, who better to ask than Mandy Simpson, the chief executive of Wellington-based consultancy CyberToa. Mandy, tell us about this blockchain. Well, that's a good question to start with. Okay, so we normally refer to it as blockchain technology Mm -hmm. or um, you could refer to a blockchain Mm -hmm. and most people will know it as the underlying technology of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. That's probably the place to start. Okay. Uh, So blockchain is the technology that allows us to, um, to keep transactions secure without needing one party to look after them. So instead of having a bank that looks after your money for you or a central bank even that looks after your money for you, uh, you have a a distributed ledger. So something which has uh, lots of different people with an exact same copy of this ledger, this chain of blocks, a blockchain. Great. So let's go back a step and explain to me more what you mean by my relationship with my bank or do you mean all the customers' relationship with the bank? Explain to me the structure of that such that blockchain will seem quite different. Okay, so if I want to send you some money online, this is particularly, we're talking about currency online here. Okay. So if I want to send you some money online, I'd mm-hmm. say I've just bought Feel something. Feel free, go crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to send you some money. Now, I might do that by making a credit card payment or I might do it by uh, making a payment via PayPal or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But most of the ways that we currently interact online with our banking system mm. is just an instruction for one bank to pay another one. Yep. And so the difference that blockchain technology and Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies give us is the ability to directly make that payment in the same way as you would if you were handing over a physical note. Okay, so it's a, it's a transaction between you and I that doesn't have to go through any individual bank or multiple banks who are seen as the authorities. That's right. In the situation. That's absolutely right. And uh, equally, you know, as we start to see Google and Facebook and Apple starting to move into this space as well, it doesn't go through those. Okay. So if you and I decide, okay, let's, you know, do some transacting together and let's, let's, you know, let's trade something called Mandy's and and you're going to give me five Mandy's and I'll give you 50 bucks for that. So a Mandy's worth 10 bucks. And then what if other people say, I like these Mandy's, can I use the Mandy's as well? Is that how you sort of create a a cryptocurrency or? Yes, I guess that's kind of. No, that yes was, no, it's not (laughs) really, Adam, but I'm going to let you down gently. Yeah. So yes, it is. But the the important thing is how is it kept secure? Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the important thing to think about there is you can't just create them. 
So if we if we go back and talk about Bitcoin, which let's is talk the, about Bitcoin. Yeah. So Bitcoin is the example that most people know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cryptocurrency is one that has a predictable algorithmic creation of currency over time. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin, when it started, every ten minutes a new block was created, and there were fifty Bitcoins in each new block. Mm-hmm. And now that's gone down. So every um, couple of years that goes down, it halves. So. Now there's 12 and a half. We're down to 12 and a half Bitcoins for every new block. And so people who know how you add together one plus a half plus a quarter plus an eight, that's why there's a cap on the total number of Bitcoins that yep. could ever that's be right. created. So there will be 21 million Bitcoins eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they're due to the last one's due to be mined in 2040. Okay. So when you say that each time a new group of Bitcoins are created on a block, yep. and is that word block there... That's part of the blockchain? The chain, yes. Okay, so, so after a period of time, lots of Bitcoins have been created, so there's lots of blocks floating around, yeah? Yes. In a chain. So uh, the way Stop this... Stop me at any time, No, nope, the way this works is... You know, so you talk about that transaction that you and I were going to have with mm-hmm. the Mandy's. Okay, let's do this with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decide I'm going to pay you some money. Mm-hmm. I create a transaction, and uh, that transaction gets sent out to all of the other users of Bitcoins. It gets sent out uh, to what's called nodes. And each person who's using the Bitcoin network is basically running a copy. So there's millions of copies of the Bitcoin network out there. Um, I send it out and then it gets gathered up by a Bitcoin miner. And we can come back to that. What's a Bitcoin miner? But it gets gathered up by a Bitcoin miner and uh, along with a whole lot of other transactions and put in a block and attached to the blockchain. And so uh, there's a, a piece of the previous block that gets included in, in the new one, and that's how we keep uh, the blockchain secure. If you want to go back and change a block from five or six blocks ago, you'd have to change all the ones since because they each carry a signature of the one before it. Okay, so a, okay, so the, a block is a list of transactions, a list of facts of stuff that's happened on the network with previous things contained. So Yeah, okay. So... Just we'll go to the mining on all that in a second, but given how long Bitcoin's been around and how many people are trading, how many of them? So the blockchain, oh, it must be massive. Um, I think it's about 500 and something thousand now, so over half a million of them. Um, half a million of, of what? People? Blocks, individual blocks. Mm-hmm. Is that what you meant? How well, many blocks are there? If every time a transaction happens on the Bitcoin network, that becomes part of the latest block... And that's containing all references yep. to all previous transactions. Right. Okay. I understand you. So um, You each, understand my ignorance. Yeah, each, <laughs> no, that's not what I meant at all. Oh, no. It's, um, trust me. Each block contains the new transactions. So, they, you know, the latest set of transactions. But it only contains a signature from the previous block. So it's not containing all of the transactions okay. that have ever been, mm-hmm. have ever occurred. So then it would just exponentially get ridiculously yeah, bigger. Yeah, that's right. So each block is a, is a, has a maximum size to it and there's one created every t- on average every 10 minutes mm-hmm. so if you get and this is one of the problems with bitcoin is you know if it gets too popular and everybody's trying to use it then you can get to the stage where you can't fit everything in within 10 minutes into that size of block and we have this thing called a scaling problem bitcoin's just been through that and for a while it got to the stage where it took a long time to get new transactions in that we seem to be through the worst of that uh, now so transactions are clearing Pretty quickly. So is what people are excited about with the blockchain in its application to Bitcoin or potentially other things, is the exciting thing 
that at that moment you've got a list of the history of all the transactions and, and interactions that go towards something. And so the analogy I'd had given before was, you know, if, if you're trying to do something complicated like build a building and there's all sorts of legal documents that have to happen and all sorts of contracts that have to be signed with constructors and builders and architects and there's council zoning and and, and I can't do this until you've sent that back to me, then I've got to send that to her and she's got to send it off of them. And that, you know, it's analogous to being able to do all of those things at the same time instead of there needing to be a really complicated administrative chain yeah. process. Am I, yeah. Again, I'm getting that look from you that I haven't really, that analogy is so, not working. Why, so why, the, why should I, I don't understand. What's so exciting about what you've explained that to that me so far? The reason that people are excited about blockchain tech is it provides trust. It's, it's a way of providing trust between people and organisations who are uh, work, you know, want to work online together without it having to go through a central authority. So, so up to now, like, it might be trust in anything. You might be having um, trust in the quality. Like, I want to be able to trust the quality of something you're doing or I might need to trust that, that you own something that you say that you own. Like, there can be lots of mm-hmm. things where at the moment we have to rely on a government agency or we have to rely on a bank. We have to rely on somebody. And uh, blockchain in its many different uses will enable us to uh, step away from having to use a central authority for that trust. Because there are examples outside of the world, because a lot of people see these cryptocurrencies and they're going up and down and some people say the cryptocurrencies might you know, be worth zero, the whole thing might collapse or whatever. Yeah. But even, even if, if Bitcoin and all those plummeted to zero, blockchain itself as an underpinning technology still has many uses outside of cryptocurrencies, doesn't it? It does. I, like, I, I see that as being, you know, talking about the internet and email. So email is just one application for what mm-hmm. we now use mm-hmm. the internet for. And in the same way, cryptocurrencies were just one application for, uh, you know, what we will go on to use blockchain give, technology Give for. the listeners some other examples of what blockchain's currently being used for or people are thinking or try to use it for. Yeah, so uh, one thing is that, you know, if any asset that you can uniquely identify can be, can be traded on a blockchain. So... Uh, here in Australia, ASX are looking at uh, completely replacing their settlement system. So for, sh- for financial shares, completely replacing their settlement system with a blockchain-based one. Why? What's the advantage to them of doing that? So in every case that a blockchain system is, is seen to be a better system to use than the one you've got now, it's generally because there are lots of organizations who want to cooperate around something. And so if you think about the financial services, and there's all these different bits of it, you've got the exchange, absolutely, but you've got custodians and depositories and brokers. And you know, there's so many different bits in there, the central counterparty, etc. And so this enables them to each run their own copy of this and to contribute to it and to, to do that in such a way that uh, they're not having to constantly be reconciling their own ledger. So at the moment, if I'm a broker, I'm running my own systems and I'm constantly having to reconcile those with the ASX. Instead, they'll all be basically running one big system that is keeping itself Reconcile. So I think that's what my torturous building a building right. analogy yes, was meant indeed. to be like. So that rather than yeah. yeah, so rather than all those different players all trying to know, well, how do I know we've got council approval yet? Yeah, how's that coming along? It's the reconciliation bit of that. So, so is it is it is it 
tortured analogy number two attempt by me. So a lot of people would have used, for example, Google Docs. Yep. And the idea that multiple people can be working on something at work and they're all contributing at once and any time they open it up on their computer, they have the latest current version of everything that everyone's done. Yep. They're not running back over to Janelle and accounts and going, can I check, have you, have you done the graph yet? Can we have the graph to put in? Oh, I, I did the graph yesterday. So it's a constant live document and the efficiency that everyone has of working on that and the security they have of knowing the document they've got is the same as everyone else's and all that. Is that a better yep. clunky it's a, analogy? It's good. And the thing that I'd add to that is it's a bit more like having a um, a shared database that you can only add to. So the thing about a Google Doc, of course, is I could go in and I could delete the bit that you'd put in yep, there. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and that you can't do with blockchain. So it's, a, it's like an append-only database mm-hmm. that you've got. You know, it's basically you can only add new chain, new blocks to the chain. And so and so I can go and see what it was like before you edited and added and all. So it's, yep. like, it's like a Google Doc with track changes. That's right. With, yeah, with Google all of the, Doc with track that's changes. That's right. Can yeah. everyone who's part of that uh, chain or has access to the chain, can they all see all of the yeah. Google Docs? Yes, they can. So they can all see um, the entire ledger. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that they can see all of the information that has been put on there because some of it might be encrypted. So you can put encrypted information onto a blockchain and much of the information which is on uh, the Bitcoin blockchain may be encrypted. So just because you can see all the, and uh, you know, I can see it can be there and it can never be changed, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that everybody can see, you know, all of, all of the information that's there. So at the Singularity U Australia Summit, you spoke about the shipping giants yeah. Maersk yeah. and IBM coming together to try and get the whole, what the, the sort of shipping yeah. community onto that's a right. common platform. How would something like that work yep. underpinned so by blockchain technology. If you think about um, all of the players that work in the global supply chain around shipping, I mean, there's loads of them. So, you know, even just at the absolute basics, you've got the supplier of the goods themselves and the container companies and the shipping companies and the ship owners and the bank financing the whole deal and, you know, ports and customs and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So at the moment, it's all just done by paperwork. So this mass of paperwork and it's delays and it's uncertainty and we don't know where this is and this container's got stuck on the port because the border authorities haven't looked at it. And, and if my understanding of the state of the paperwork is different to your understanding yeah, of the state, exactly, that can be economically exactly. or safety issues or all sorts of things, yep. Yeah, and so things get stuck along the way. Sometimes for quite long times they get stuck on, on ports. So uh, what Maersk want to do is allow everybody involved in that process to have access to a single blockchain that they can write to. And so they'll be able to, you know, constantly update that with, well, here's where that is now. And it will just continue to do that. And, you know, uh, one of the other examples that I uh, talked about earlier today was uh, this idea that when a shipment gets to a specific place, you know, the blockchain would then record that, yes, this has arrived in this place and so yes you can now go and transfer title to that to the other person you can make a payment for that you can do all of these other things so that that would only work in that case if all those hundreds of agencies that you spoke of agreed yeah. 
to be part of it. Yeah. yeah. So you need that consensus to move to a blockchain, mod, or at least you need eighty-five percent of people yeah. to say to do it. Absol- then you're silly if you don't. Absolutely. And uh, blockchain is one of the hardest things about this technology. If you're working in, you know, many other areas like robotics or AI or many of these things, you can do this by yourself. As a company, you mm-hmm. can go. I am going to invest in robotics, and we're going to ch- completely change the way we do our factory. You can't do that with blockchain. You have to do it with your supply chain or with your customers or you know with your regulator and so asx uh, the example i used earlier they've been at this for two years so far Uh since they first announced that they were going to look at whether they could change to a blockchain based system and they have had to bring all of that ecosystem along with them i know there was a a great sort of test case or example of where CBA, the Commonwealth Bank in yeah. Australia, uh, executed a, a contract with some cotton uh, yeah. that went halfway around the world. Can you tell what happened there and why are blockchainers so yeah. excited so the, about that? So that was an experiment that uh, CBA and Wells Fargo did together. And this was, again, coming back to that global supply chain. This is the idea that you can ship cotton from one side of the world, this was in this case from the USA to China. And when it gets to China... The, the, it has, there's a smart contract which is sitting on the blockchain. We can come back to what smart contracts are. Uh, sitting on the blockchain is monitoring for physical proof of arrival in China. And when that happens, uh, then automatically the title to that cotton transfers and the payment gets made. And so, in the old days, you're waiting for them to sign some paperwork and fax it back, or send yeah. an email, or yeah. photographic proof, or whatever. Yeah. But under under a as you call it smart contract, smart contract. As yeah. it arrives, you've got instant verification on the chain that all parties to the transaction can see. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, up front, you've agreed. You know, how are we going to? You know, what are the conditions that have to be fulfilled before money and title change hands? And once all of those conditions have been fulfilled, it just happens automatically rather than you having to wait for someone to go, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll write the check out now. You know, mm. it sort of feels a bit like that, mm. that sometimes. I've heard examples used like maintaining the integrity of a, of a food supply. Yeah. So to show that the final product either has, you know, pure foods from certain sources or there's no... Possible contamination or all that. How how would how would it work in a case like that? Yeah, it's not that there's no possible contamination. Mm. Let's let's just be clear about. So uh, the idea of using transparency over your supply chain is so that one of the things you know is you know where all of your products are all the time. So the difference between using a blockchain to do that versus many of the other ways that it might have previously been attempted is firstly you can identify every individual thing you know as its own asset so that might be you know each individual piece of food or it might be each individual piece of clothing gets identified as its own asset on the blockchain and so when your supplier says to you oh my goodness we've had we've found out that we've had this contamination on our uh, our factory line then you can go okay look across the blockchain where are all these things right now because that now I can I can go out and I can recall those straight away. Which of my shops are they in, etc. So Walmart has been doing that. And again, this is not something you can do by yourself. This mm-hmm. isn't something that Walmart could go out and go, okay, I'm putting a blockchain in place and you know, this is what we're going to do. They've had to work with all of their suppliers to say, okay, we're all going to uh, use this same system. And they're only in test phase with this at the moment. Mm-hmm. But we're all going to use this same system so that when any of us has an issue, we can all see where where these things are. And they believe it's, you know, it's taking them from 
uh, hours or days now to find uh, where all of a particular product is to recall it to seconds, being able to do it in seconds. Or if you have a complicated situation of, you know, there's 15 different agencies that all come together to, you know, create something, and if one of them has... Uh, they run out of something or have a breakdown in one of their factories or supplies or whatever, it rolls through the whole network, but you might not normally find out till two or three stages down the pipeline. Yeah. That, yeah. But whereas, am I right thinking so an advantage there would be everyone would know where everyone's at? at, at an, yeah. You could certainly do that in the same way. I don't know if their one yeah. does, but you could certainly use that in that way. And, you know, that's just the, those are the questions that each group have to ask when they come mm-hmm. together. What information are we prepared to share with everybody? What do we only want certain people to see, in which case you would encrypt it? And oh, I was about them- to, oh, I was about to ask exactly that and look almost intelligent. Yes, yeah, so I was about to say... If people get, if, if if I'm as a, as a trader letting you know you know what my current price is on things or where I'm in my production line, I might not want everyone in the group to know that because no. I might have competitors. Yeah. But they're the things I'd encrypt and only let people A, Z, and Q in the exactly. group have access to that yeah. little subset of data. Yeah. So you ah. you would you would be able to. Say, I think okay, you're onto something here, Mandy. <laughs> I think I might be. This is starting to make <laughs> sense. You mentioned ident- identity documents yeah. and 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 ID. There's two billion people two billion people around the world who don't have reliable identification documents or any at all, how does blockchain work potentially in a situation like that? So, look, this is one of the things I'm most excited about. This idea that... Because you've been pretty excited so far. Let's make that (laughs) very clear. This idea that you can can identify somebody online using a blockchain-based identity Mm -hmm. rather than it having to be a passport or Mm -hmm. a driver's license Mm -hmm. or or all the stuff that we're used to. Yeah, 100 Uh, points. So if you think about, say, a refugee crisis and you Mm. might have a whole lot of people who have left their homes and don't have those documents with them, uh, but we still know something about them. We might know something about their family groups or they might have an online presence of some sort. We have something that we can start with, even if it's only a a physical identity uh, marker like a fingerprint or something like that. You know something about them. And then we're able to use that to say, okay, well you now have control of your identity. You, uh, we, we're going to put that marker onto a blockchain. This now represents you. If you want to identify yourself online, you can say, hey, this is me, and, and you know, basically open that up for somebody else uh, to be able to look at. So they, that might, it might be verified by an agency. So it might be verified by one of the aid agencies, for example. And then somebody else wants to know who you are, you can say, okay, you can look at this particular bit of my identity and, you know, that's been verified by an aid agency. Now, is blockchain technology as it exists at the moment, is there just a single blockchain no. <laughs> technology? Are there multiple different things? Lots of different ones. Yeah, so in, in what ways are they different what are the sort of variables that can be tinkered with yeah okay so the biggest one is is it a public blockchain or is it a private blockchain so mm-hmm. this is can like bitcoin can anybody use it mm-hmm. or like say the asx one do you have to be part of the mm-hmm. that that ecosystem to be able to use it uh, so that's probably the biggest single difference that we see between the current ones uh, but then there's uh, particularly within the public ones there's a whole set of different ways so uh, we talked earlier about mining, the idea of a Bitcoin mm-hmm. miner. Uh, so a number now, just quickly, the idea a Bitcoin miner is people who are part of the system can dedicate a bit of their computing space that's needed to help run the whole system and they sort of get rewarded for the computing space they give by being given a 
Bitcoin, is that vaguely it? Yep, that's that's basically it. So um, you as a miner basically compete to create the next block in the chain. So all the miners are competing against each other to create the next block in the chain. Remember, one every 10 minutes mm-hmm. in terms of Bitcoin. And uh, as they're doing, they're doing that by, it's called proof of work. So they're doing lots and lots and lots of uh, calculations that require computing power. And the one who gets to the answer first creates the next block in the chain. And they get, as part of that block, they get given a number of, of Bitcoins within just, it. Just say there's 10 of us, Yeah. right? on 10 different houses down a street and we're all Bitcoin mining together yeah. at the same time. Proof of work, that doesn't mean I'm actually sitting there typing in code trying to do calculations, does it? Or does it just mean I leave my computer on overnight and in the background it ticks over and happens? Yeah, so um, this is there are programs which are running which do this. Mm-hmm. So it's never been something that you could do by just like mm-hmm. typing in code. Uh, but the, the, the computers are basically running to solve a a puzzle. Mm -hmm. So they're running an algorithm constantly to solve a puzzle. If I choose to do this, I go and download this algorithm from somewhere in Bitcoin land? Yeah, look, it's something that's very hard to do as as an individual now. Uh Like you could have done when Bitcoin first started, Mm. but now these are done by immensely powerful computers that are are set up specifically to do this. I presume someone with a giant supercomputer bank is going to bang it out quicker than me on my Commodore 64. Yeah, and and look, it's not even that. These are are, um, specifically... The, the equipment is specifically made and is made to do exactly this. Wow. Now. Um, yeah, so uh, it's no longer the case that you, that you could run, okay. run your computer and, and do it, not but, on the Bitcoin network anyway. But we were saying in terms of there being different types of blockchains, some are public, some are private, some yeah. have mining, some yeah, don't. So, so <clears throat> they, all have, they all have to have a way that the next block is created. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you choose who gets to create the next block? Mm-hmm. So in the Bitcoin space, people compete yep. to create the next block. But in other blockchains, you might, instead of competing, you might stake some of your existing holding of that cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And then you have, a, instead of having a chance to, to do the next block based on how much power you're putting in, mm-hmm. you have a chance to do the next block to, based on how much money you've staked. And that's called proof of stake rather than proof of work. Okay. I've heard of something called hash graph technology, yeah. but I get, which I get the impression is really new. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that the idea of a completely different concept to a blockchain or is it another sp- been on the blockchain yeah. technology. So Hashgraph is not technically a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a number of different technologies that we might say are competing for, well, what, what is next in this space? So blockchains have um, a number of known problems. So you know, we talked about one of them earlier. You can only fit so many, uh, so much mm. data into each block and there's only so many blocks an hour or whatever. So if the system's moving too quickly, it might... Yep, yeah, yep. and so there's a number of different ways you can deal with that. Uh, Hashgraph is one of them. Uh, there's another one called uh, the IOTA Tangle. Uh, and so they are basically, you know, what you might call kind of next generation of distributed ledgers. So they're still distributed, mm-hmm. still, um, you know, held in lots of different places. But how the information gets verified is done differently. So, uh, you know, for example, in the Tangle, each individual transaction, when you come in to do a transaction, you verify one ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So and and so you eventually. I'm going to nod and pretend I understand that. You get yep. you get this like so instead of having an, a single chain, mm-hmm. you have um, each one coming in and effectively creating a tangle of transactions. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You, you got me back there. Good. Good. So just with the cryptocurrencies, 
thing. Now, with with you know money in our society, we need to all agree that a dollar coin has some value. Or if we all woke up tomorrow and said dollars, nah, it, it would by definition fall apart. There's no inherent worth, and it's sort of like that with cryptocurrency. I've heard of examples of either where if someone tries to steal a large amount of Bitcoin or forking, they just have to suddenly agree that some of it's not worth anything anymore? Or do, do, uh, no, it, so it's, it's not really an agreement as such. So yes, you're right, by the way, just go, to go back to what you started with. Currency basically is worth what we agree it's worth as a society, uh, which is why uh, cryptocurrencies are interesting, right? Because we don't really know what they're worth yet. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so volatile. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the change in price of Bitcoin and Ether over the, the last you know, year or so. Uh, they've been incredibly volatile. The idea of a Bitcoin, of a, a network fork, is that uh, you, as a group of, of people using it, may not be able to agree on a change. So I might say, okay, instead of us only being allowed to have a block every 10 minutes, instead we're going to have a block every five minutes. But in order to do that, everybody has to agree. Mm-hmm. And if we can't get everybody to agree, what we say is, okay, well, from this particular block onwards, say from block 600,000 onwards, uh, we're going to split. And the people who want to do one every five minutes, or five, you know, every five mm-hmm. minutes, off you go down that route. Mm-hmm. And if you want to carry on doing just one every 10 minutes, you can carry on down this Bitcoin route. Bitcoin A and Bitcoin B? That's right, yeah. Are they, they then become different currencies? So they become different currencies. And the question of which one is worth the most or, you know, how much each one is worth, it really depends on, well, how many people go mm-hmm. with one as opposed to the other. And normally when you get a fork, you actually get both. So, you know, if I hold Bitcoin before the fork, then I would hold some on each of those things, but I might not be interested in one of them. I might only be interested in the other. And so normally what you find is most of the community go to one rather than the other. If someone stole a large amount of Bitcoin, do you, do you have any proof if someone steals? Does that make sense even to... I've heard about people, you know, hacking in yeah, to depositories okay. and taking large yeah. amounts of it. So uh, one of the great things about blockchain technology is it is incredibly hard to hack. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the reasons for that is it's not stored in one place. It's, all over, it's in all of these computers all over the place. Uh, one of the problems, though, is that you still access it using effectively a password. Mm-hmm. You still have to be able to show, yeah, this is me. These are my Bitcoin. Well, you do that by you know, giving a, a private key, which is effectively a password. And whenever you have passwords, people lose their passwords, right? So you know, might have people who lost their password, and then they're never going to be able to access their Bitcoin. Or you have people whose passwords get stolen, and mm. then somebody else can. And one of the biggest issues around cryptocurrencies is they get centralized back together at the point at which we exchange them. So exchanges are particularly prone to being hacked. And we've had a number of uh, examples of that over the years. The idea being exchanging as in cashing in your Bitcoin. Yeah, so the point at which you would um, you, you would go to sell your Bitcoin mm-hmm. to somebody else for fiat currency or for another cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. You know, cryptocurrency exchanges are normally now places where people sell Bitcoin and get Ether or mm-hmm. they might get Litecoin. or You know, there are hundreds of these coins mm-hmm. around now. And so at that point, you actually transfer your Bitcoin to the exchange who then give you something else in return for it. And what happens is the exchange end up holding a whole lot of these and that's where they end up getting hacked. A couple of quick questions that everyone listening is asking and you know what they are. Should they get in now? Uh, to cryptocurrencies? Yeah. Like, um, it's a really hard question, 
right? I, I, and I am certainly not one who would want to give financial advice to anybody. But, you know, I think you should never, what I would say is you should never spend on this. This is incredibly volatile asset class. It's brand new. We are on version 1.0 of the technology. It's got years and years to go. Uh, so you should never put something in here that you can't afford to lose completely. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, we saw Bitcoin go from $1,000 at the start of 2017 to $20,000 by December, um, drop back down to $6,000. Mm. It's now up again today at about $11,000. You know, the, the mm. volatility certainly enables people to make money on it. I wouldn't never encourage people to speculate on current cryptocurrencies. It's hard. And, and the, day of, the days of $100 worth of it would now be worth $2.5 million. Is that, that now gone? Like that's over quite a long period of time, remember, mm. you know, 2009 to mm. 2018 uh, is quite a long period of time. If you were to put $100 in now, would it be worth that amount in 10 years' time? Who knows? How many cryptocurrencies vaguely are there out there at uh, the moment? Over a 1,000. Is it conceivable that a couple of those will again just rock it up amazingly, but it's just impossible to guess which ones there are? Yeah. Or are there others, to, to a professional like yourself, are there some that look more robust and more likely to last and more likely to appreciate significantly in value than others, or is it a total crapshoot? <laughs> so there are, um, there's a number of different things to think about in there. Uh, I mean, there, there are only 10, I think, cryptocurrencies or so with um, a total market cap of over a billion dollars. So most of them are relatively small mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, so, you know, if you look at those, most of them are, you know, they're getting to be reasonably mature or more mature now. There's a lot of people in them, et cetera. If you look at the others, really, a lot of them are guesswork right now. Uh, I, I said on stage today, I'm quite happy to say it again, most of them will fail. Mm-hmm. The vast majority will fail completely. And one of the reasons for that is these are currencies that have been created by startup companies who mostly have, you know, may just have an idea and a white paper and that sort of thing. And most startups fail. We know that most startups fail. And, and they're, they're being issued in that case almost like you to issue shares in a company saying that hopefully if this company really takes off these 20 cent shares I'm giving you are going to be worth $1,000. Is that the similar sort of, but you know, to be honest, these shares might completely collapse if my company never goes anywhere. It's similar. Yeah. So what you're not doing generally is buying a part of the company though. Mm. What you're doing is you're effectively taking a stake in the fact that this particular network is going to be successful in the future. And then other people will want to buy those tokens because they want to partake in that network. Mm. And so the value of them will go up and up and up. But at these early stages, we don't even really know what some of these networks are going to look like. We don't know who their customers are. We don't, you know, there's so much that we don't know about them. One of the main things I said today and that I really firmly believe in is that actually some of this is a big distraction mm. right now. Uh, this idea that you know, people are really focused on how do they make money out of it instead of how do we use the technology to do you know, better things in the world and to give more people access to their identity online and to the things that will actually really help uh, is is just a bit of a distraction. That is easy for you to say, Mandy Simpson, as you leave this room, getting your gold-plated jet I've seen parked out on the runway that you bought because you got on a Bitcoin when there were only two of them and they were worth a cent each and then <laughs> cashed in at $20,000. I am not the person who bought the pizza for yeah. 10,000 Bitcoins. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fa- thank you so much for this discussion, Mandy. Really, really interesting. I think you've answered a lot of questions 
that a lot of people would have floating around in their heads on the whole blockchain thing. Thanks for coming on The Big Questions. No problem. It's been great. Thank you. This episode of The Big Questions, as always, was produced and edited by Alex Mitchell in the Podcast One Studios, series producer Caroline Pegram, and the theme music provided by the good people at Uncanny Valley. If you want to hear more Big Questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon. Big Questions.